and welcome to this week's episode of Ireland Creates, the podcast about Irish storytellers, both those that are based here in Ireland and those with a connection to this Emerald Isle. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke. I hope you're safe and well this week. I don't know about you, but seeing the sun finally come out has uh, cheered me up. It's definitely lifted my spirits. I know it's still very, very cold, but spring has sprung. I want to give a big shout out and congratulations to one of our previous guests on the podcast, Claire Lyons. Claire, a photographer, has just been selected as one of five Irish artists to join Futures. It's co-funded by the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union and is a platform focused on amplifying emerging talents in photography in Europe. Claire was put forward by Photo Ireland. She's joined on the list by Aoife Herity, Audrey Gillespie, Ji Ling Long and Mark Duffy. So congratulations to all of you. It's a fantastic opportunity. And if you are a fan of Claire's work, please do go back and listen to Claire Lyons' episode of Ireland Creates. It was a fantastic chat and I know proved very popular with our listeners. I also want to thank those of you who've gotten in touch and responded to my call out for guests on the podcast. The invitation remains open. As I said, I want to make the podcast as inclusive as possible. So if you yourself would like to be a guest or if you follow an artist that you think actually... I'd like to hear them on Ireland Creates. Uh, get in touch with me. You can message me on Instagram at Ashling Makes Stories, or you can email me directly on info at ashlingorourke.com. And that's spelled the Irish way. There is no H in my name. I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Ireland Creates. Today, I speak with a woman who has just released her brand new album. My name is Edel Mead and I am a songwriter and vocalist from County Tipperary. Well, Adele Mead, thank you so much for joining us on Ireland Creates, our, our latest episode of this podcast about Irish storytellers. Now, Adele, it's a very, very busy time for you with the release of your album in the last few weeks. I know it's been we've been seeing a lot of media coverage of it. But before we get into that, I wanted to kind of go back in time a little bit. And I know that music has always been a part of your life, but that you started out as a journalist. So I'm wondering, as a child, was storytelling part of uh, who Adele Mead was? Um. Gosh, I've never, I've never thought about um, that. I'm, I'm not sure so much, Ashling. Um, like, well, then again, actually, I mean, I was, I was an avid reader from a young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember devouring all of Roald Dahl's books, you know, from, from around the age of eight, and then moved on to Enid Blyton, and like, I was definitely what you would call a bookworm. So I suppose, I, without realizing it, um, I guess I was really absorbed you know but by stories um certainly i was always singing um but i suppose it was probably more the melodies that i was singing along to i mean because the stuff i was singing would have been kylie minogue songs or (laughs) gary barlow so you you know it was less um less poetic or less narrative driven or you, you know that sort of way um so and then i mean in secondary school i was involved in various musical theater productions so of course we were dealing we would have been dealing with stories again um so when i when i 
went to college and, um, you know, to pursue journalism, I suppose it didn't really seem that strange. Like if I was doing like, I don't know, a science degree or something, which I would never in a million years have chosen, like that would have seemed, seemed very unfamiliar. Whereas journalism, it just seemed, it seemed quite easy for me. And I know that as a youngster, like an awful lot, I think, of of children of our era, at least in Ireland, were sent to the, the, the piano lessons. And, and we know whether or not you stuck with it, I suppose, depended on in the individual person. But that that has like your piano playing skills, they've stuck with you for all of those years. You did keep it up. Well, I mean, um, it, it might it might look like that in a way, but I would say there was definitely lots of stops and starts. I mean, as a child, I would have, um, my mother would have sent me to ballet lessons, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then I was interested in um, learning a musical instrument and, and the piano. And, you know, my mom said, you know, which do you want to do? And, and I tried the piano and then it was a case of, well, you know, you can do one or the other. And, and I stuck with the piano. But it was it was tough because I wasn't from a musical family. And like, I remember, you know, the, te- the teachers would be telling me you need to practice every day. But my parents didn't necessarily get that. Or, you know, we'd be going to my granny's house or, you know, various things. And um, I'd arrive into the piano lesson and I wouldn't have done the work. But it was very hard as a very a young child when my parents didn't necessarily understand. And I just remember the teacher was giving out to me like all of the time. And, um, I, you know, I, I wanted I, I was really interested. Um, but like the emphasis was all on the grades, like yes. your grade exams. And like it was it's a desperate way to teach a child because it's like you need to be able to play these three pieces. And I suppose from the teacher's perspective, they were thinking, oh, maybe they look like a bad teacher. But like I was doing piano for years and I could play nothing except whatever three pieces that I, that I worked on. And, you know, it was only when I gave up the piano lessons as a teenager that I started to really enjoy music and started to play songs and sing along rather than these things that were just drilled into me. I went through the same process doing the grades all the way up. My aunt actually taught me <laughs> piano. She was my mum's younger okay. sister. Um, and on the one hand, I did. I loved it. I loved the sound of the piano. I had like as my grandfather had started me off on it as a toddler, I was absolutely like just the, it, it was my thing. But on the other hand, hated practicing the scales, hated the thought of doing exams. Yeah, yeah. And really just wanted to be able to play. I know. I know. And like, um, well, just to, to interrupt as well. And like with, with the syllabus at the time, I mean, I don't know what the what the, what's involved in the grades these days. Excuse me, but it was all it was all classical music. And of course, there's a lot to be learnt from that discipline. But like at the same time, you know, young people want to be able to play songs that they love and that they hear on the radio. And it it doesn't I, I feel that it should be more broad. For me, it was the dread of being asked to do a party piece at a, at a at some birthday party or family gathering, and okay. I was and in my head I was going, well, I only know these three pieces, and nobody knows these are just random things that the you know the Academy of Music says that I need to know. I you know people want me yeah. to play actual songs that they can sing along to. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think you've you've hit a really valid point, and I know the grades are important, and like for someone to go and qualify to become, say, a piano teacher or you know. A, a violin teacher they have to have some kind of system as to how you can progress yeah. and do that um 
But yeah, I think there's a part of it that you kind of wonder, is the love of music being instilled alongside it or are, are we damaging it along the way? Absolutely, yeah. There was a great a great film um, a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name of it, but you might have seen it. Um, it was on in the IFI and it was all about... A, a piano teacher, various piano teachers and the, the effect that they had in a really positive way on mm. people's lives. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't mean to brush everyone, you know, with, with this, or paint everyone with the same brush, but that was my experience. Yeah. And look, it's not the piano teacher's fault. It's the system that we've built, you know. And Exactly. Yeah. And Adele, you said you went on to college. You did journalism. Did you enjoy it? Um, it was interesting, Ashlyn, because at the time um, I saw it as 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 kind of the only op- option because, you know, looking at the CAO forum um, when I was in school in Clonmel, I mean, I would have said to my, my music teacher or my career guidance teacher, I want to pursue music. And he was saying, do you want to pursue opera? And I was absolutely not. And, um, you know, the idea of going over to the UK to study musical theatre or something, it just it wouldn't have been um, something that my parents would have been up for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and I, I didn't want to do music as part of an arts degree because it just um, it seemed like it was a bit more um, studying maybe the musicology side of it. So it, it, it essentially seemed like there was no course for me. And um, I knew I was very interested in having like a creative life like I, I wanted I wanted my day to day to have variety. Um, so I thought actually working in radio or working in television would be something that would appeal and I'd be around, you know, lots of interesting people. So journalism with the Irish language um, seems like a really good option. I mean, I loved music and the Irish language in school. They were my favourite subjects. So when I went, when I moved from Clonmel up to Dublin, I mean, that was a huge culture shock. Um, I found on the course, it was tough. There was a lot of very strong personalities on the course and people um, were so into the news and I was into music, you know, Mm. so I wanted to write music reviews. I wanted to interview musicians. Um, So that's exactly what I did. Um, But it was definitely a tough place because I didn't realise at the time. It took me a while to realise that I actually wanted to pursue music. It was just that I didn't know how to go about it. So I would say it was a tough time. And I, I definitely, I, I felt like I was very different from, from a lot of people on the course who were so news and politics driven. That's not necessarily me. Did you keep the music up while you were studying? Yeah, well, in, in a kind of, um, in a, in the way I guess I knew the only way I knew I could. So when I went to Dublin, first of all, um, a friend of mine from home, she used to come up and visit, you know, she was still down in Clonmel doing um, an art portfolio course. And we used to have a little band in Clonmel. And when she'd come up to Dublin, the pair of us would go off busking together and we'd sing harmonies and we'd both be playing guitar and we just had so much fun like it was the best crack and we used to make so much money and like then we'd go out the following night and spend on our money you know this kind of thing um so I did that in my in my first couple of years in Dublin and it was in my second year that I joined the Gardner Street Gospel Choir and that was actually um that was a life changer really because within a few months I was singing solo in the Ambassador Theatre I was singing live on the Late Late Show with the choir. We had concerts in the Olympia Theatre. I was rapping with the choir in in Vicar Street. So it was just, it was really fortunate that I got offered a place and that it was at a time when they were really sort of, um, you know, 
out there. Kevin Kelly was the musical director and he had all these really soulful, you know, pop arrangements. It was just brilliant. And then as it happened, um, because I was doing the Irish language as part of the course, I had an option to study um, or to spend a semester either in the Gaeltacht or else I could go to Chicago. <laughs> Chicago? So <I> <laughs> yeah, Chicago. What was the I'm, connection to the Irish language on Chicago? No, I know, I know there's I Irish know. Americans, but I'm just curious from an <laughs> academic standpoint. Absolutely. Um, it's a fair question. I think it was just that because other people in the class were studying French or studying German and it just seemed a little bit unfair to maybe, you know, a, a 20 yeah. year old um, to have their, their, their classmates going off to Paris and Berlin and then if just the appeal of going to, you know, Connemara mm-hmm. at, at that age, sure that that wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair at all. So I think that was, um, that was kind of the reasoning behind it. So when I went to Chicago, just before I went, I had seen the movie Ray, um, Ray about Ray Charles, mm-hmm. um, Jamie Foxx um, playing, playing the lead role there. And I had never heard music like that before in my life. And I was just it, it hit me in a really, really visceral way. And then like a few days later, I was off to Chicago and I had been looking at the um, at the college, Columbia College, Chicago. It's kind of similar to, um, I suppose, well, DIT, as it was called then when I was there, um, in that it was a very vocational college. So lots of, yeah, great journalism and radio courses, but also music. So when I saw the syllabus, that was being offered like and jazz and you know studying a social history of rock and roll studying Motown I was just like oh my god how can I go to this place and be so close to though you know that and, and not do it so I basically wrote a letter to the head of the faculty um in DIT like not even my my lecturers I went way above that and just like pleaded and said you know I just really love music I'd love this opportunity to take some music classes and he agreed he said as long as I keep up with my journalism work and you know my grades stay um consistent he had no problem with it um an amazing opportunity amazing and you know he could have said no but he was it was really really good of him that element of studying abroad like going abroad and I know it's not open to everybody and I know it, it's very expensive and you know it puts a lot of financial pressure on families and a lot of stress and for for some young people you know going that far away from home the homesickness and all of that it's it's not yeah it sounds fantastic but it's not necessarily the easiest of things to do it must have really given you, I suppose, a new perspective on music and what you wanted to do with your life. Oh, God, Ashling, absolutely. And you're, you're totally right. Like, I, I'm so grateful that that my parents did help me out. I mean, I was totally living on, on a shoestring while I was there. But, you know, like they, they helped me out so much in, in covering my rent and um you know, so, so yeah, I, I fully appreciate um, that that aspect. But yeah, it, it did change my life um, in so many ways. Um, I mean, even because I teach a lot these days and I suppose I would be considered um, kind of innovative in the types of courses that I present. Um, and I guess, you know, being seeing that at such a young age that, you know, people were, were studying jazz and blues and singing and it was it was just the norm um, for me to see that. Uh, yeah, at such a young age, it was, yeah, hugely inspirational. 
um the buildings as well um like chicago oh it's a, it's a be like it's architecturally it's very um very very impressive to say the least I suppose it's one of those places that we tend to see through various American TV shows like The Good Wife or, uh, you know, and it's uh, we don't necessarily see reality on the ground, but I'd say it is a a fascinating place. So, Adele, when did you, you know, journalism, I suppose, in a way, journalism was the responsible course to take in that it was, you know, it was an opportunity to be creative, but actually earn a living. Yeah, It, it takes an awful lot of guts to go do you know what I like it but my heart is in music um well what happened was I mean when I got back from Chicago I knew I was going to pursue music and I I had done three years of the journalism course at this stage and there was one more year to go I had no interest in doing it but like my friends on the course were just like they were saying listen Edel, seriously just do the year you'll have it then and you you know you might regret it otherwise I really really didn't want it but I, I, I did see that their point you know it was just another year so I did that and then immediately um, auditioned for the BA in jazz performance at New Park Music Centre in Dublin so so I did two degrees back to back, um, but I would have kept up the journalism um, for, you know, the first full year of my um, my degree in jazz performance. And it was ideal because it was freelance work. So I had a deadline and I knew, you know, when things had to be finished. But, you know, there was flexibility within my week. So I was grand for going to college and doing practice. And then, I mean, I used to get a lot of work around the Christmas holidays when other people were off, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was, which was ideal. Um, so it actually, it really suited. But that all came to a head then in my, when I was in my second year of the, of the jazz degree, because I got offered um, a role working on the Late Late Show. I had been doing quite a bit of work in RTE and really, really liked it. And it just came to a point where I was like, oh, my God, like the Late Late Show, this is like an ideal role in many, many ways. But of course, they needed me all day on Fridays. um, And that would have clashed with my jazz studies. um, So I actually just had to make the decision. I knew that it would mean more to me to one day perform on the Late Late Show than it would if I was working there and meeting all these extraordinary people. So I just I had to turn it down. And that's it. I've, I've been pursuing my music ever since. Yeah, like it's a tough call to make, but... You know, if, if like if you're working on a show like that and you're going to be presented with people who have gone on to present uh, to to pursue a career in music and you're there uh, like assisting with their performance on the show in a way, you know, yeah, yeah, you, yeah it, it'd be hard to stomach if your heart was really in, in music and in doing music. Well, well, I guess as well, like, because I had been doing that for the whole four years of the journalism degree, you know, and I was interviewing all these musicians and I just wanted to be, you know, like up close with them, if you like, and finding out about the songwriting process. But I realised much later, that's um, what Julia Cameron would refer to as, as as a shadow role, you know, where you're sort of, you haven't stepped into the role um in, the, in my case of being a musician and a songwriter, but you're doing everything you can to be as close to, to people who are pursuing that path. Okay, okay. Now, pursuing music in Ireland, um, like we're a country that we love our music and we love to talk about our Irish musicians and we put um, Irish musicians, I think, up on a bit of a pedal still. 
but it's not the easiest life to pursue. You know, like it can be very difficult to to make ends meet, really. So how did you go about setting yourself up? Um, uh, <laughs> I still don't know if I have the, the answers, Ashling. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a very tough path. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think the music industry in the world is just not sustainable the way it is. Um, there's a major, major problem with streaming sites. I mean, the actual truth of the matter, um, since, you know, releasing my Blue Fantasia album in 2017, I've made less than 10 euros total from from streams from Spotify. It's the absolute worst for a small independent artist such as myself. And it's just something has got to give it. It's not sustainable. Um, so myself, I guess um, I supplement my my income from music, from teaching. I teach part time at the University of Limerick. I've been teaching part time since, you know, for the last 15 years. And it's actually funny how it happened, because once I left, once I graduated with a journalism degree, my course director contacted me and he knew I was pursuing music. And he said that his wife was looking for singing lessons. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I haven't ever taught singing lessons, but like I know how to sing. So, you know, I kind of he, he persuaded me to do it. And, you know, and I, I wouldn't have had a prior experience, so I wouldn't have charged much. And, and they were like, oh, my God, you need to charge much more. And then her sister was coming to me for singing lessons. Um, like this was my journalism course director. So it was brilliant. And, you know, when I suppose then kind of word got out and mm-hmm. uh, people were coming and, you know, I, it eventually led me to to teaching group courses in Dublin um, and I realised like jazz and blues was my passion in the sense that you know sometimes people would come along and they'd want to learn a musical theatre song or a folk song um, and I, I, I at that time I was just like jazz and blues is what I I, I really have been immersed in. It's what I love, it's what I'm good at and passionate about so I guess I would have um, set myself up you know teaching those courses and then would have been invited to different universities um, and stuff because there's not, I suppose, all that many people who would be considered specialists in vocal jazz and blues. Um, And then when I moved to the University of Limerick um, to do the MA in songwriting, immediately they asked me, you know, would I teach on the course as well? Because no, not on the MA songwriting course, but on the BA voice program and on some of the BA world music um, courses. So, it's always been something that I've sort of been asked to do um, and, and I enjoy it. I would say that it's all about finding the balance. I mean, there have been times in my life where I've been doing too much teaching and not paying enough attention to my own practice. And that's yeah. that's not good. You, you just start to feel really, really tired and, you know, it affects your mood. Whereas when the balance is, is right, then, you know, you have you have enough um, coming in to support yourself and then you're able to, to do your, your artistic work as well as help others. So, yeah, balance is, is key. I think that's a challenge many women I think in particular in our generation, uh, find hard to achieve. You know, it's, yeah. um, and it is like, a, a, and I could name so many writers that have spoken about it or so many artists that have spoken about it. Um, yeah. And like, you, you know, learning to say no is as important as being able to spot mm. the opportunities that you should take. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it is. I, th- I think it's, is it an Irish w- woman thing? I mean, I haven't yeah. thought about it, but I definitely would relate. So teaching has given you, I suppose, the space to make music the full-time profession. You mentioned the MA in songwriting and I know all along now we've spoken about your jazz uh, and your love of jazz and blues music, but you've gone in a, I suppose it's developed in a slightly different direction. It's it's more, I suppose, a combined with your uh, well, your interest in storytelling. has it, it all seems to have come from the outside, at least full circle now at this stage. Yeah, gosh, again, Ashling, I'd never thought of it like that, but it would definitely um, look, you know, it, it would definitely look like that because um, I suppose like when I was singing jazz and everything and in jazz, when, when I was in jazz college, my goal was like to be a professional jazz singer. And, you know, when I was in college, I would have thought, right, if I'm doing a gig a month, that's cool. And then I would have thought, right, if I'm doing a couple of gigs a month, that's cool. And then, you know, I would have I would have come to the stage where I was doing like three or four gigs a week and, and playing in really nice venues and stuff as a jazz vocalist. And um, I would have, um, I spent like 2014 doing a tribute to Joni Mitchell. 2015 was, um, I did a tour um, celebrating the music of Billie Holiday because it was her centenary year. Um, And all this time, I guess I, I was sort of reaching my goals as I went along and I started to feel a bit frustrated because I was like, okay, yeah, I've, I've done this. I've done this, but who am I? Who am I? What do I want to sing? Like what's important to me? And I got to the stage where I was just so sick of singing the same George Gershwin songs or the same Jerome Kern songs. And I mean, they're amazing songs, but I had been doing it for such a long time. I was, I was itching to, you know, to step out of that role and again, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to go about it. And then, um, as it happened, I was actually, um, on an artist retreat at the Tyrone Guthrie Centre. Um, and I just happened, actually, I heard, I overheard someone talking about University of Limerick and how they had studied there. And something just made me, um, go onto my laptop and look up the Irish World Academy just to kind of, I didn't know anything about this place. And then I saw MA songwriting and then I sent an email right away just to express an interest. And, um, Kathleen Turner, who wrote back to me at the time said, you're sharp off the batty del that that you know that notice only went up this morning (laughs) and I was like oh wow and I guess I was kind of um preparing to release my debut album at this time so I didn't know if I was going to sign up for it that September as it just I wasn't sure if it was the right move um and then um I released my debut album and then I heard that Carl Corcoran, a um, wonderful radio broadcaster who was with um, The Blue of the Night for over 10 years, he was to step into the role as course director. And I was I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done. I'm, mm. I'm, de- I'm there because he is such a, such a great man, very, very supportive of Irish artists, such a wonderful um, range of experience, you know, with, with different musicians and I just I knew I was going to be in good hands and when I got to Limerick I mean I had been in in Dublin for 16 years and had become established as a jazz singer so it was quite a a, you know a, a different um a different space but I was so ready for it and you know in the Irish World Academy trad music is 
is huge. So like you'd be walking around the building and you'd hear people playing trad in the hallways. It's so vibrant. And I guess even, you know, when you step into the building, there's this beautiful mural um, of the goddess Shona and of all these different um, elements of Irish mythology and folklore. Like it's this stunning mosaic. And I just really... um, I, I, I just, it, without me knowing it at the time, that was the start of me exploring who I am as an Irish woman. Irish, like, as opposed to jazz of African-American origin. It's been a, a long journey for you, but one that's uh, come to fruition in, in your latest body of work. And... I know for you, and you mentioned the, the Tyrone Guthrie Centre, you have gone on a number of residencies and like you and I actually met at, at, on residency yeah. at, the, at the Tyrone Guthrie Centre. So I'm wondering if you, for people who are not um, familiar with what it means to go on residency, what does it mean for you? How do you use that time in, in a space, whether it's the Tyrone Guthrie Centre or, or another residency? How does it function for you? Um, I would say it's been hugely um, important. It's played a significant role. First of all, having the um, courage, if you like, to to go and, you know, kind of say, hi, I'm an artist. Because before you do something like that, you, you know inside that you are an artist and that you, you want to be, but it, it can be very hard. It can be hard for people in your life who've known you in a different role or whatever to kind of see you as an artist. So it's hugely validating. I, I can't underestimate the importance of that. And it's probably taken me a good few visits on artist residencies um, to sort of really step into that role. But when you go to a place like the Tyrone Guthrie Centre, you're there among other artists and you know whether you're at the at the early stages of your career or you know wherever you are like you're sitting down having dinner with people who might have performed in Carnegie Hall for example or won you know highly prestigious awards and Mm -hmm. you're there as one of them and for me that has just been absolutely massive like in terms of your your confidence um your ability because it, it is quite um I've been told it's quite hard to get in if you know the, the, a lot of people apply and if you are accepted it, it's okay you, you, yeah. you deserve to be there so it, it's incredible um and that's that's separate from any of the work that you do um would you have had a similar experience, Ashling, or oh, definitely. Like I applied the first time around. I applied. I didn't get in, um, and then I asked somebody who um, who I knew had been several times, and I was like, "Look, for me, writing applications for these type of things, like as a journalist, I'm used to yeah. write, writing day in and day out. But writing an application to go on something like this, it's a skill in itself. And I had no role model as such. I had not, yes. or at least I didn't know what a good application should look like." You know, it yeah. was like this kind of this mythical thing, like the unicorn, you know, <laughs> just off there in the yeah. ether. Um, but then arriving down, I think, yeah, like I remember 
So I met a wonderful writer while I was there, a woman by the name of Olivia Fitzsimons. And we were, I suppose, we're in a similar age bracket and we kind of bonded while we were there. And yeah. we were surrounded by, I think you popped in at one stage. There was this group of ladies who had been going to the centre at the same time every year for year upon oh, year yes. upon year. Yeah, I remember. And they just took us in, you know, and Aww. it was <laughs> it was like being enveloped. You know, and one of them said to me, like, why do you keep on kind of when people ask you, when people, when new people arrive, you're hesitating when they ask you what you do. And I was like, well, yeah, because I feel a bit, you know, you've been there, done that artistically. And I kind of feel yeah. like a bit, I don't know, imposter syndrome maybe was hitting me. Yes. And I really found the first, I was there for two weeks that stage. And the first week I found really hard. Like it was really yeah. just kind of yeah. intimidating. But then once you, once you breach that barrier, um, <laughs> it's I found I've just found it completely empowering. I think that's the only word yeah. that I can use for yeah. it. And yeah. like I'm wondering, like for you, and I know you went off and you had like in the the Tyrone Guthrie Centre for people who aren't familiar with it, like the facility, the the building, the story oh. of the building, like it's just stunning. Yeah. And you had the music room, and yeah. to have a space like that to work it must have must be incredible. Yeah. Oh, it, it is. Um, it's it's such an honor, you know, and like you're there one week and then you might have, you, you know, someone at the table who will have been there longer than you, um, like they might have arrived the previous week and they'll tell you who was there the week before you. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, oh, wow, I really have to take this opportunity. And I and I do. I always do. But it's a, yeah, it's incredible to be sort of part of that. And I love going in and like even just, you know, taking breaks and looking through the books that are in the, the shelf, like or books that are music books that were from Tyrone Guthrie's own collection um, or like. Yeah, you, looking at any of the books in the in the library, like or, like it doesn't matter if it's if it's a music room anywhere in the house is inspiring. Um, but yeah, the piano is really beautiful, and certainly I I have written some music there that I'm really happy with. Talk to me about your songwriting process. Um, how does it? How did the songs come about for you? You know, I think we have this for those of us who don't do that. You kind of imagine that you're driving some night in the car, and all of a sudden this song comes into your head, and well, there it is. But um, I know that's probably very far from reality. Um, so I'd say that there's probably not one process. I think you know, as an artistic person as I'm sure you would, you might have a similar experience, Ashlyn, but ideas are always kind of jumping around at you and sometimes you're not ready for them or so, so you kind of have to be there. Like I find with me, I'm always getting ideas, but a lot of the time I'm busy with other things. So doing the MA songwriting for me was brilliant because it gave me deadlines. It meant that I had to have a song written by this date. It meant that I had to have a performance ready for this date. So in other words, I had to prioritise, which for me is actually essential. Um, and I wouldn't say that I have any particular process um, except showing up. Um, once I set the time aside and just wait, if you like, sometimes I'm waiting longer than, than others, but it like I do channel ideas. Um, but yeah, sometimes they take longer to sort of make sense. Um, like Song for Bridget Cleary, for example, I would have written that in a couple of hours. Um, it was just a case of 
laying out the facts of the song and a melody came to me straight away. Um, so, I mean, that wasn't, it didn't take a massive amount of time. Going back, thinking about the arrangement, thinking about how I was going to deliver the vocals, that would have taken more time. But the essential, you know, the basic essence of the song, it, it came to me pretty fast. Long Way to Go, which is um, my spoken word piece. That was challenging in the sense that I had never written a spoken word piece before and it's a totally different style to to a song and a melody um so that actually that probably took me a couple of weeks to you know write segments and then come back and try and get them all rhythmically just to kind of to have an impact so yeah I, I had to have patience with that and I certainly it's usually an emotion that I feel before the song before or, or a spoken word piece is comes to fruition. It's, it's an emotion. It's some kind of energy that I'm channeling. So that took a while, but I, I kind of knew where I was going with it. Um, you released uh, Bridget and Patricia's at a time. Now, obviously, we're, you had no way of knowing this, but um, it, when you were writing the songs and putting it all together, but it seems like it's a time when... Irish women are coming to the fore, um, yeah, whether that be yeah. for good reasons or bad reasons, um, or sorry, not good or bad, negative or positive, I suppose is a better way of putting it. But uh, that we're talking more about the the Irish female experience and then your album, it's some of the topics are rather challenging. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I guess the way I was thinking of it really was just, you know, if I'm exploring who I am as a woman, these are the things that I'm thinking about. Like, these are the things that surround me in my day to day. I was just seeing misogyny everywhere. I was very aware of the fact that, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable walking someplace at night alone. Like, these are just part of the day to day existence of being a woman. So definitely um, that's channeled in the album. Um and, and like I'm, I'm very aware that there's, there's a tension or there's sort of an unease, I think, throughout the album. But absolutely, that actually reflects that reflects what it's like. I think it's a very an honest reflection of life, you know, of of life as be, as a woman in Ireland at this point in time and something that. I think I would hope will stand the test of time. The music, it's not, you know, when people listening now will have heard us talk about uh, your your training, particularly as a jazz musician. It's it's not it's not necessarily in jazz style. So how, how would you describe your style now? Um, I would say it's it's been influenced by jazz, influenced by folk, but it's it's contemporary music, essentially. It's um. With the reviews and stuff, people have said it, 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 it's quite distinct, it's quite original. So um, I kind of feel in terms of, of people that are interested in it, if they're interested in contemporary jazz or contemporary folk, um, it, it, it will probably resonate with them. I've really been enjoying listening to Bridget and Patricia's. I keep on looking at the name of the album written down and I don't want to get the order of the two names wrong. So that's why I'm hesitating every time <laughs> I name it. But Bridget and Patricia's, it is available, as you said, you know, on the likes of Spotify. I know you have it on Bandcamp and you're selling CDs as well, I believe. Yeah, CDs are available from my website, edelmead.com. And Bandcamp is just, it's brilliant for artists because um, most of the money 
that that that's raised from the sales goes directly to the artist so if anyone was going to buy it um a digital release Bandcamp would definitely be, be the preferred option so Adele Mead I'm going to uh, finish up our conversation by asking you the question that I ask all my guests and uh, I know we've kind of talked a little bit about it throughout our conversation today but what does storytelling mean to you oh um what does storytelling mean to me um I suppose I would see it as as a as, as choice, as, as, as an opportunity to, um, present a narrative, um, that may be based on truth or maybe based on something historic or fantasy, but basically it's, it's, um, it's open to interpretation, um, in whatever creative or truthful path that you see fit. (laughs) Well, Adele Mead, congratulations on the release of Bridget and Patricia's. It is a fantastic album. As I said, thank I have you. really been enjoying listening to it. But thank you so much for taking time out, at, particularly at this time. It's such a busy time um, just after releasing an album. So thanks for joining us in Ireland Creates. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Ashton. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Adele Mead. Please do go to adelmead.com and Bandcamp to find out more about Adele and to purchase her new album, Bridget's and Patricia's. As I said, I've had it on while I'm working here and I really do enjoy the album. That's all I have time for today. Just wanted to say that I'm giving myself a wee break for the next fortnight. I'm going to switch off the computer and I know I can't exactly go on holidays, but I am going to take some time out and get some fresh air over the next couple of weeks. Ireland Creates will be back with its next episode on Thursday, April 15th. In the meantime, please check out the back catalogue. You can follow me, as I said, on Instagram at Stories, And remember to share your stories.